Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm here with Katie Scott, who is uh, director of the Gallery Fanaki in Crosley Street, Melbourne. I remember discovering uh, Gallery Fanaki probably 97, 98. I think it had been already opened a few years, and a good friend of mine, Judith O'Callaghan from Sydney, said, didn't you know about Gallery Fanaki? And I said, no. Anyway, I've been quite a, um, a follower since and just continue to be amazed by the whole thing. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Katie, um, you uh, took over the gallery a few years ago after the founder, uh, Murray Fanaki, uh, passed away, very sadly, one of our great jewelers, contemporary jewelers. How hard is it to start something and to, you know, you have your own voice, you have your own direction, but uh, Murray was just an extraordinary jeweler mm. and to take on that responsibility must be quite daunting. It, it was and, and there have been a few times along the way where I thought I really, I'm not sure I can do this. Um, and, I, and I always say to people, you know, Mari had very tiny feet and I really do have enormous feet but filling her shoes has been uh, well, I guess in a way I don't even try to fill her shoes because as you say, she was an extraordinary woman. She had a prodigious talent as a maker and as a gallery director. She had a, a vision which was really before its time and um, she did something very extraordinary in this town. So rather than try to fill her shoes, I guess what I try to do is, is um, understand her philosophy and continue it uh, and continue to try to represent the quality um, that she believed in so dearly. It's one of those galleries, people who don't know Gallery Fanaki, it's definitely, I think it's one of the most important spaces in Melbourne, tiny little gallery, um, and represents some of the the jewellery, contemporary jewellers who you represent. Give me a list. Yes, well, um, our stable has remained fairly constant over the 18 years that we've been there. Um, we represent a, a lot of German, Dutch uh, and New Zealand jewellers. Actually, only a couple of New Zealanders. Warwick Freeman, for instance, uh, is a very famous New Zealand jeweller. The Germans have been very important to us. And Otto Kunzli. Otto Kunzli, for example, who's actually Swiss uh, but lives in Germany. Uh, also Peter Bauhaus, um, Manon van Kalsveik from the Netherlands. Uh, Noel Linson, also from the Netherlands, uh, Doris Betts, Therese Hilbert. Uh, Carl Fritsch. Carl Fritsch, of course. How could I forget Carl Fritsch? And Lisa Walker, also from New Zealand. Uh, Carl and Lisa now live in Wellington. And there's Kiki. Kiko Giannocca, who is a, a Swiss-Italian maker who uh, studied here at RMIT for several years uh, back in the mid-2000s, and he has now moved back to Switzerland, but he's really one of our most extraordinary makers. What do you look for? I mean, you must have people every day knocking on your doors, presenting their work. I get a lot, yes. I, <laughs> I, I try and respond to everybody who approaches me because I feel, um, just as Mari did, that giving younger makers particularly the time and attention and the feedback that they might need um, or, or at least be looking for is really important part of what we do. Um, it's not just about... Uh, the very high-end commercial um, representation of very established makers, but about encouraging and, and helping to um, set on the right track younger makers who might be looking for a direction. So, Katie, what, who, what are you looking for? If someone brings things in 
it's hard, it's hard it, it for is. somebody who doesn't understand <laughs> contemporary jewellery. And look, it's something that I'm still finding my way forward with too mm. because, of course, I'm uh, not the maker that Mari was. I certainly studied gold and silversmithing mm. at Monash University. I, I went through to honours with a fine arts degree. So I have some um, aesthetic education and understanding of, of what I'm doing and I have very clear ideas about what appeals to me personally. Uh, but I have to balance those personal predilections against um, what the gallery is about historically and what Mari's vision was, uh, while at the same time keeping in mind that I can't predict Mari's vision absolutely. Mm. She surprised me too sometimes with her choices. So really what I look for is um, th there's a little kind of a, a pendulum within me, I think, that uh, comes to a resting point when I know something's really right. And it's it's about that balance between what's personally appealing to me, what I consider to be a fully formed intention that's been beautifully realised. Uh, it's about materiality that's been um, really understood by the maker and used to its best effect. It's about um, a concept that uh, speaks clearly. It's about authorship. Uh, it's really about sophistication of, of making uh, and that's really something that generally only comes with many years of practice. It's not something that you can expect to achieve in your first year out of university. So <clears throat> while you know I'm so pleased that there are places in Melbourne that will represent that emerging jewellery because that is so important to have a platform for what you do but we tend to look for something a little more uh, resolved and established. Katie, if you see something that's, say, 90% there, do you get involved in, like a curator and say, look, maybe you could take it in this direction, or do you tend to not get involved in that well, area? Well, yes, I, I do try to, and increasingly that's something I'm feeling brave enough to tackle. Uh, there are several artists within our stable who... Um, perhaps when they first approached us or when we first approached them were not quite there. There were signs of brilliance, but mm. uh, perhaps there needed to be a bit of tweaking um, in terms of the path they were on. And, yeah, I have taken an, uh, an active interest in that. Uh, often what I find, though, is... Um, an artist might be reaching a certain interesting point and they'll be snapped up by um, another institution or another gallery because mm. uh, they're more considered emerging. So you have to be fairly on the ball, I think. Mm. Um, and sometimes I find I don't have the time <laughs> to, to really dedicate to that nurturing element. People who look... A lot of people still don't understand contemporary jewellery. I remember walking into Funaki many years ago and buying a, a cardboard bracelet by the... Nell Linson, I suspect. Nell Linson. Yes. And I fell in love with it. I thought it was wonderful. And I purchased it from my partner. And this uh, woman came in wearing pearls and a very bright woman. You know, I won't mention her name. Very bright. And uh, she mentioned, she said, Stephen, you're not actually going to purchase, pay $300 for a cardboard bracelet, mm. are you? I said, well, just watch me. <laughs> and my partner was absolutely delighted. I was in the good books for that week. Absolutely. Well, I mean... Why is it that people don't get the fact that Something precious doesn't have to be diamonds or pearls. It's. I think I it's. Understand. Look, I think it's. I think it's a cultural history. It's part of our, um, our DNA that you know, gold, diamonds, pearls. These are the precious things which signify our status and our wealth. Those are the things with which we adorn ourselves, uh, which doesn't make any sense really historically mm. because you know, well, way back eighty thousand years ago, people were wearing shells, mm. but. 
It's funny because people are very happy to pay much more than $300 for a piece of cotton by a, a designer, a fashion designer, that um, might be something very simple. But um, Nell Linson's cardboard bracelet, for example, which is really uh, the most brilliant piece of engineering, mm. an extraordinary um, form, an extraordinary aesthetic. Yeah, people really struggle to see that that, as a piece of design, as a piece of art, is um, is worth the money. Mm. Not everyone. Actually, we're, I'm happy to say that that's actually a very rare thing now. Um, contemporary jewellery is also very niche in terms of the people who are who are devotees to contemporary jewellery. Who would you say, in your head, is someone who's uh, really into the whole thing? As a collector, do you mean? Well, both. Collector, buyer. Okay, I have uh, a couple of utterly fabulous collectors who live in Canberra. Um, I'm sure they won't mind if I mention their names, Susan Taylor and Peter Jones. Um, Susan's actually very involved in uh, wearable art or fashion uh, in Canberra and um, has a shop herself there. And they are two people who, not only do they get it, but they are passionate about it. And they, you don't need to start by explaining a concept to them. They are ready. Uh, they're, they're figuring it out for themselves. They're engaged. They're, they're picking pieces up. And just the joy and the absolute kind of intellectual engagement is so refreshing and so fabulous. And there, you know, there are people like that. There are plenty of people. I mean, look, we've been there for 18 years, so there are enough people to keep us sustained. The other thing I find puzzling is uh, Melbourne is literally one of the leading cities in the world for contemporary jewellery. It is indeed. There's, you know, Munich. There's... Uh, there's Amsterdam, Amsterdam. I mean, a new uh, boutique's just opened up in... Uh, a new gallery's just opened in London, but mm -hmm. London for years has not been into contemporary jewellery. You go to New York, very little. It's, it's all true. Paris has just costume jewellery. Mm -hmm. Why is it that Melbournians and Melbourne generally doesn't make a fuss of the fact that we're leading in this field? You know, if we were scientists and had this yeah. this uh, reputation, you'd hear about it. Or if we were, you know, obviously sport is... Why mm. is that? Well, I think, it, it, look, it may... I'd only be speculating. It may partly be that um, that classic Australian trait of, of understatement and of, of not wanting to push one's own barrow. Mm. But um, I think perhaps also we're all a bit busy just doing it rather than, than talking about doing mm. it. But look, I do think that we do have a, a great recognition within our own community of, of mm. how important this this movement is. Katie, why do you think Melbourne has become such a draw card for contemporary jewellery? Is it the institutions? Look, I think that the um, the fundamental answer at its very base could be just people. It's the people who have been involved from the very beginning um, who have not only begun the institutions and instigated the education programs, but have had this sustained passion and this ability to engage other people. Uh, you know, I could name names, but I'm sure I'd forget people. You know, Marion Hosking, of course, Mari Fanaki, Kalia Makagawa, Robert Baines, uh, uh, Ray Stebbins. All of these people were instrumental in, in setting up, for instance, Craft Victoria, uh, in setting up the education institutions that still drive the movement now, and also setting up the gallery spaces. And a lot of them were, were passionate makers as well. Probably the other person who's been very instrumental in contemporary jewellery is mm. uh, Judith O'Callaghan. Of course. Who really brought contemporary jewellery to um, uh, the National Gallery of Victoria's mm. attention many years ago, and I think she was she purchased Susan Conn's donut clear donut 
um, bangles or oh, and bracelets. Of course, Susan Con, someone else I should mention. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's those, those first steps, it's those first purchases and those first conversations. I think back in the 70s, really, in Melbourne. You know, and in the 70s, Melbourne was a particularly vibrant. Uh, open and engaged place where people could start up programs, they could start up their own initiatives with a sense of real positivity and uh, and optimism. And I think that that, what happened in the 70s, is really what's driven where we are today. Um, where do you think contemporary jewellery is going? Because I've noticed, and maybe you can help me clarify this, that there seems to be a lot of jewellers who are working with precious materials uh, to almost get it across the line to make it more acceptable to people who are used to the gold and yes. you know, silver around their necks and is there a move to using precious materials or you think I not? Think, I think potentially within Melbourne there might be. And, uh, look, I could I could rant for hours about um, <clears throat> the differences in the particular markets around the world. Uh, I think Melbourne has its own particular slant on contemporary jewellery, which is driven by um, a slightly more commercial imperative. There, there isn't the arts funding here to the same extent there is in Europe. Uh, young makers do need to perhaps make production lines to, to get by. Uh, and there isn't perhaps that sense that you'll be happy to sit uh, making and practising and not showing your work for 10 years before you're happy with a piece, which mm. I, I know a couple of artists in my stable have done. Uh, and I think that, yes, particularly for younger makers, going back to precious materials is a way of, of getting out there, of being seen and ha making a living. Um, and I certainly would be in no position to judge that. I think that that's a natural evolution of the movement. Uh, I do see um, a, a, a fairly disconcerting tendency to homogenisation of jewellery, uh, which worries me a little bit. What do you mean by that? I mean that, I th and I think that this is driven largely by how much visual information there is out there. Uh, you know, you can get on the internet and look at 6,000 images of jewellery before lunchtime, you know. And I think that for students who are encouraged to do that research, um, there is a tendency to absorb all of those other influences and perhaps spit out something that is a, a bit of a everything. hybrid of all of that that they've seen. So there's not that um, the time and the attention on your inner life, I suppose, or what you have to say, your particular voice. And honing that voice or that visual language is a, a long and difficult thing. And I think that um, it's something that not everyone ends up achieving. Uh, you, you, I can understand when you, that spark does fly. When you walk into the gallery and you see Giancomo's uh, uh, brooches, mm. There is something there that you can't even really articulate. For those who don't know about his work, uh, it's, you know, the brooch might be very uh, black and lacquered uh, from the front, and then behind there's an image that is really just for the wearer. Yes. And there's that immediate sense of connection. It is. And it's something that almost isn't articulatable. Is that, a, I'm not sure yeah. if that's a word, but it's something that hits you at more of a gut level, um, and, and it's an understanding and an appreciation 
of where someone is coming from, where this artist Kiko Ginoka is uh, really coming from. And he doesn't need to spell it out for you. He doesn't need to uh, have a long artist statement beside the work and uh, he doesn't need to use precious materials to achieve it. It's just there. You get it. And look, perhaps not everyone does get it, but if you spend a few minutes with the work and you engage with it, you pick it up and turn it over and find this image, which is intended just for you, just for the person who's wearing the piece. It's very touching. It's a really profound moment. It's very special. Yeah. I mean, you've got lots of very special things in the gallery. Um, some of it, you know, is just, it's very difficult to uh, convey the beauty of it over radio uh, podcasts, but um, they are exceptional and... Uh, as a, as a director of uh, and surrounded by so many beautiful pieces every day, do you find that you can't wear jewellery? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. <laughs> um, y y actually, you're right. I've never really thought about it, but I tend in my personal life to be fairly understated when it comes to jewellery. I, I often feel that I ought to be wearing something fairly significant and um, perhaps make a bit of a statement, but I, I tend towards the smaller pieces in my own life. And I think that's because I do, I think you're right, I spend so much time around all of this work, it would almost be like trying to choose a favourite child. Mm. So I tend, to, <laughs> I tend to just wear small pieces. Well, I see one of the children on your wrist. <laughs> and um, This is an important child. This, this is, is an important Important child, quite an old child by um, now. Heir apparent. Um, it's it's an Otto Kunzli uh, uh, bracelet and one of his uh, I hate the word but iconic pieces. Mm. And it's a rubber uh, covered in in rubber. Mm -hmm. And then there's a gold um, ball. A gold ball inside. So yes. you can actually you can't see the gold ball. You can just almost imagine what it would feel like. Mm. Tell me the significance of that piece for you. I mean, that was done a number of years ago. Yes, this was first made in 1980, and it's been made um, as a constant addition since then. Uh, so, as Stephen said, it's a it's a tube of rubber with um, a gold ball pushed inside. So you see the lump of gold beneath the rubber, almost as if a python has swallowed a you know a jackrabbit. And it's a very interesting piece because it really was one of the first pieces that spoke very clearly about. Uh, a clear concept and an intention. It was questioning preciousness in a way that was fully understandable um, for everyone at a very early point in jewellery's, in contemporary jewellery history. So Otto made it um, as a, a, a bit of a political statement. He was fed up with gold at the time. It was um, a statement that was really saying, I'm going to use this gold but in a way that um, is deeply subversive. You have to take it on faith that this gold is even here. It's a valuable bracelet. Um, it costs quite a lot of money but if I push this gold back into the darkness from whence it came as it were, are you still going to appreciate its value in the same way? Um, and happily you know, thousands of people have. It's been a very popular piece ever since it was first made. The other person who came to Melbourne a few years ago, very important designer, mm. uh, who I believe is represented at your gallery, is Heis Bakker. Heis Bakker, yes. We have um, represented Heis on and off um, over the years. Heis works in a way that is um, not like a, a an artist in the usual sense. He's much more a designer, does production works. And um, so we wouldn't, say, have a, a solo exhibition with Heiss in the same way that we might with Carl Fritsch. But he is really, um, I think, one of the godfathers of the movement. He, he really was 
one of the very first people to start using plastic with his wife Emmy van Leersum, uh in his work and to Probably in the six was it in the oh, 60s? yes I mean it was in the early 60s I think it was it was really very early on and it crossed over into fashion a lot of the time just as Heiss's work with drogue design for example crosses over into lots of other sorts of design uh, he was never to be pinned down so jewelry was just one facet of his design practice but uh, there are some pieces that he made early on that are still in production today um, Katie, what's the most pleasurable thing about uh, the business for you? I hate the word business, but the gallery then. What's the most... Is it is it just knowing that round the corner there's this creative designer who will walk through your doors or...? I think it's... Uh, in part, it's the relationships. Uh, the relationships both with the artists and with the clients are sustaining on a, a really basic level. Uh, they are just, and I, know, I don't mean financially either, I mean sort of emotionally and intellectually. Jewellery people are just gorgeous people. They really are the best people in the world. I mean, <laughs> they are lovely. I, I sometimes kick myself and think, how did I get so lucky as to, so to, to land in a, in a career in a way that allows me access to such wonderful people? And there's a there's a generosity of spirit. Uh, there's an intellectual capacity for engagement. There is um, a passion for life that really drives what these people do. And um, there's also a, a sensitivity and also an insularity, I think, which I can relate to personally and I think is, is quite important. Well, just working on your own. Yeah. It takes a certain kind of personality to be a jeweller, I think. Yeah. You do need to have um, the capacity to be by yourself. <laughs> and Gallery Fanaki's just been given a new fit out. It has. So that's exciting. It's been a very exciting year. Uh, we um, did a major renovation of the space in uh, March, April of this year, and uh, that was an enormous undertaking. I didn't quite realise before I started how enormous it would be. And I'm really pleased that now we have this beautiful space, which is um, has the same sort of philosophy that the old space had in terms of its minimalism. It's, cl it's clean white. It's just a pristine white box. Yeah, it is. But luckily now we have more flexibility. We have more light. Um, we have more ability to move things around and, and create exhibition layouts that are surprising and, and unexpected. Mm. And uh, it's a way of bringing the gallery into an, a new uh, future, and it's also, sustaining it for the years to come. It, it's a way of you taking ownership. It is, yeah. It, it took me, a, I think, three years um, until I felt ready to make the sorts of changes that I really felt at heart needed to be made. Um, look, it's just been a pleasure. I've, I find contemporary jewellery one of the most exciting things about Melbourne, and you're doing a wonderful job. And I Thank think you, Steve. I think Gallery Fanaki is a must for anyone interested in design, whether you're an architect, fashion designer. I can't. It's just so it, they're like mini buildings. Some of them they're sculptural. They're... They are, and yet and yet some artists don't like to have their work described as sculptural or architectural because they're like, no, it's jewellery. It's meant to be that scale, uh, but yes, it, there are references. So there are references to all sorts of things, and it, it really is. Um, there is something for everyone. Uh, thanks so much for coming in today, Katie. Oh, it's been a terrific pleasure. Um, you've been uh, with Stephen Crafty talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and thanks for listening.